I think that you are the most interesting person at the CFL Combine. Wow. Well, thank you very much. That's, that's cool. <laughs> uh, and I, I feel like that is an earned uh, accolade, if you want to call it that, because I do research, right? So I'm on the microphone for CFL.ca and do the cover the combine and all of these things. And um, I research a lot of backstories and I don't often come across people who from England, made their way to the SEC, then go over and you know, join the USC football program. Oh, by the way, I happen to have a background in, in motorsport. I've been teammates with George Russell, Max Verstappen, yeah. all these guys. So it's an amazing journey that you've been on. And for the people that are just getting acquainted with you or hearing a little bit about your story, um, what do you want them to know about how you got here, sitting in this hotel room in Toronto, okay, getting ready yeah. for the global comp? It's definitely a weird one. I will admit not many people have uh, been through all of the uh, paths that I've been through. It's definitely been tough, but it's been a lot of fun. I'm very fortunate to be in the position that I'm in. And uh, hopefully I can make the most of it this weekend. And I get a call in a few weeks' time, and I'm back somewhere up here, up, up north in, in lovely Canada. Yeah. So you, you started out uh, in racing. How did you first dip your toes into, into motorsport? In motorsport? Okay, so my dad was involved in motorsport before I was born. He did some stuff with BMW. And, um, when I was like eight years old, just randomly takes me carting one time and I just, I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. Um, and we started a racing team around me at that young age. And, and I, I, I worked my way through the ranks of carting when I was younger. And when I was about 12 or 13, I got a call up to one of the big Italian factory teams, at Intrepid over in Maranello. So uh, a lot of the big drivers all drove for a bunch of teams that are stationed there in Italy in a really small town, which is weird because all the best drivers <laughs> in the world are in this, this small town in Italy. So right. travel over there. Uh, I had my tryout with the team where uh, some other drivers that had already been with the team came down to like drive next to us in the same equipment to see how we would compare. Like Charles Leclerc was, was our guy when I was there and I got to go against him one-on-one, -on -one, you know, just <laughs> running around the track in, in South Garda. And then I was on the team. I did well uh, at that category at KF3 and then, uh, and then went up to the next one and went into, did a bit of car stuff in between that and going on. And then when I got to 18, uh, I guess it all came to an end. Well, and... yeah. So, this is, <laughs> so, you know, and I want, I'm going to go more in depth on some of the Formula One stuff with you in a minute, but I, the reason I wanted to do something longer form with you in this, in this format was because I chatted with you earlier today and your story is so interesting, but also you had a real passion. Or that like you say when you're eight years old you, racing? You, yeah, yeah oh yeah you, you couldn't have pried it away from me yeah like and you loved it so much but then some of the profiles and background that i had read on you it was i loved it i loved it i loved it. i was climbing through the system i had this team built i was in marinello i'm from milton Keynes in england you know it's around the red bull facility i've done red bull simulator work and cut yeah literally it was that's how it was so explain, that's exactly how it was but explain that to me because obviously it, it led you down a different path that has you sitting here mm -hmm. in toronto with me but explain how you how you go from loving that so much into well, I've got to change my direction of my life. So when I was eighteen, um, going to university, I, I was told you know you got to go to university. Education is very important. Education comes first, which is good with me. I would advise that to everybody. Any parents out there that are doing the same thing with their kids for sure, education comes first. And they're at university. In terms of moving forward with, with education and, and where the budget was for the next few seasons, it was decided. Look, this is a it's effectively the end of the road. Uh, unfortunately, it's not because you're not talented enough and it's not because the offers to drive for certain teams are not there. 
could have gone and done F3 in Europe. The, the drive opportunities were there, but uh, it was told to me that that's not going to be possible. So was that your parents saying, listen, education, education, education? Like, we, I'm sorry, but we got to stop this year because we have to focus on education instead of doing it. Because, I mean, I've read the stories about Lewis Hamilton and his dad and the amount of travel that it takes and basically being on the road for three out of every yeah, five days of the week and then weekends you're racing and then you're in school for two days and then you're out and you're it's chaos right and absolutely it's, it's not a normal upbringing absolutely you have to live racing if you are to be a top racing driver uh and not only you but the the support group around you also has to live it so in the case of lewis hamlin his dad worked like two three jobs yeah. and so on and so forth and um my parents have certainly done a similar uh, thing for me when i was younger in racing but when I got to 18, the, the education part and the budget part didn't add up anymore. And that was, that was it, I suppose. Uh, and because of that, I mean, I went from one day like, okay, I'm going to be a racing driver. If anyone asked me, what are you going to do? I'm saying, this is what I'm going to do. All the teammates that were around me, all the guys I ever raced against in a close capacity, that's what they're all doing now professionally. Uh, and then it's just me. I feel, I, it's weird. I always think to my my last World Series race uh, when we were at Zuero and we had qualifying. I look at like the top 10 and it was like Callum Isla put it on pole. He's driving IndyCar. Yeah. I was on second. Uh, Russell was like sixth or seventh. He's Formula One. Uh, Lando Norris was in the class below. He's, he's Formula One. Uh, Mick Schumacher was in the class below. He's Formula One. A bunch of guys that I've driven with in a close capacity are all racing professionally in some manner. And it was just uh, the case that it was not going to be the case for me. And, and that's how it was. And it was a very sharp reality. And um, I guess I was kind of lost. I didn't really know what to do. I just... Uh, well, yeah. And that's that's kind of what I'm, you know, in terms of the personal side, it's like, yeah, I focus on education. Sorry, that's done. But like, take me to where your mind was at that point, because you're still very much in your formative years when you're 18 years old you know when, you, when you're 18 you think you know everything but then you yeah, turn you, you turn 19 you realize at 18 you didn't know anything yeah. you turn 20 you realize at 19, 19 you didn't, I didn't know anything. It, it's yeah. continual right and so was it painful like did absolutely it, did it hurt to give it up like absolutely. How, how long did that take you to get over the idea that wow i'm actually not doing this thing that i thought i was destined to do um i would feel are you over it like no you... i'll never get over it <laughs> it's the honest truth um i, I simply I simply had uh, like a numb feeling to it because I couldn't really believe that it was the case that my racing career had come to an end in the manner which it came. Um, but it was a harsh reality and it was indeed a reality and I had to just move forward with it. And I very quickly went out of my way to find a sport which I could replace with the one I had been doing my entire life. And when I put myself into that sport, even though I didn't know it and ended up being football, uh, I went at it in the same vigor or, or manner that I had gone uh, into racing with. And so I was like, well, okay, well, this is now my sport. And people are, oh, why do you care about football? Like you've been playing it like three years. Like why are you moving to America because of football? And I'm just, you don't get it. Are you viewed as an outcast among some of your American? Well, just are you, are you viewed as an, as an, out, I don't mean by Americans that are saying, oh, there's this English guy. I don't know much about him. He's from a <laughs> motorsport background. I'm saying, like when you first found your love for football, whether it be American football, Canadian mm -hmm. football, stylistically, whatever, when you start saying, you know, I'm going, because obviously, I mean, autosport, motorsport, so big, huge, 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 yeah. huge. And, <laughs> you know, part of me identifies as because I'm a Ferguson as like a Scottish guy. So I'm looking in the background. I'm like, I feel like I have this pull to it because I almost feel like I'm part of that yeah. background where I love the energy that, the that, that everyone puts behind it in the UK. But then naturally, 
you know, you could be playing soccer, football, or you, you could yeah. be doing rugby, or you could, when you say, hmm, you know what, I'm going to play a team sport and it's going to be American football. What, what was the reception to that from people when you said, this is my sport of choice? And people in terms of like my friends and stuff, they were like, Oh, that's cool. A bit confused. Don't know why you're doing that. Uh, but whatever, like when I first started, people just had it that I was just doing it as a pastime. It's going to be whatever, like you were a racing driver. That's not what you do anymore. People refer, you were a sportsman or you were an athlete. Now you're not. And uh, maybe you're just doing this for a bit of fun. But for me, it was never that like people when I was back in the UK would always ask me just before I made my move to the US, like, what's the chance you go pro though? Like, what's the actual like chance, like percentage? And every time people ask me that, I tell them hundred percent. There is no scenario which will pass where I'm not a professional football player in North America. And I truly believe that. That's awesome. Uh, I, I love the drive and energy. When we spoke earlier today, I said, because you were talking about being on scout team, whether it was Vanderbilt or USC oh, yeah. and, and the joy that you speak of being on scout team with, and this is not a slight in any way to you, no. but it's that I come from a culture of, of football in Canada where if people are on scout team, they feel like they, most people, feel like, well, I haven't accomplished my goal or I'm not contributing to the team or because it's almost the idea of kind of capitalism where it's like, well, if I'm not making the most money, then I'm a failure. Then I'm not contributing. Exactly, right? And it's like, we set this unattainable standard where everybody has to be the best. And I love your enthusiasm for, if if I'm on a team, if I'm on a roster, I've made it. Yeah. And I'm going to keep progressing. I might be scout team at USC, but I'm going to do my damnedest to win the best Scout team, team player that there player is, that you yeah, can, which you did at yeah. USC, absolutely. And, and so, being able to approach it with that energy, uh, I imagine that first of all, that really endears you to, to CFL and NFL teams, absolutely. And second of all, I would imagine that's an incredible tool to have for your own mental health, like to keep yourself motivated and to be happy and healthy. And you know what? Every day I'm going to get up and I'm going to attack this for what it is because there's so many people who just get stuck in the mud and then just say, uh, whatever. I haven't made it. I'm uh, going to give up. Give up. Yeah. So see, for, for me, that's not an option. Um, there's been many times where I'm in a very sticky situation, both coming into college football when I've been there and I found myself in a position where I'm like, wow, I don't know what I can do to improve my situation or my footing, but giving up or, or failing is, a, is not an option. Small failures or, or failings do not equal failure. Failure is just me saying, okay, I'll, I'll just go and work in, in finance or something uh, or go and work in business or yeah. move myself into recruiting or something of that notion. When I set my goal for football, giving up would be the only way I could fail. And that would be on me. And yeah. I will never, never do that to myself. I also love the idea that, yeah, you, you know, you got a motorsport background and you played all this football and bounced around. But, oh, by the way, you also happen to have two master's degrees. Yeah. <laughs> And and, I mean, when the education is king, uh, as we've talked about here, that's an important part of what what comprises you as a person, right? Which, uh, you know, the the internships that you've had are are very I've done. I've done some all right internships. If anyone's checked my resume, it's (laughs) certainly gone well. And I keep up uh, with the companies that I've uh, that I've interned at in the past. And whether I finish my career and go into finance or, or go into commercial consulting or banking or whatever it may be. I should be okay. Uh, but mostly that's not because of me. That's because my parents have put me in a very good position 
educationally to be able to do that. Right. Yeah. And so you've got this kind of well-rounded background, but like you say, football is what you want to accomplish. I want to go backwards for a second and allow you to tell the story of um, when you decide that you're going to university, education basically predetermines that motorsport's done. You need to go off to school. He's okay, cool. So you go to Durham University mm -hmm. and then you walk onto the program there, correct? Correct. At Durham University. And like I say, everybody thought you were doing this as a pastime or whatnot. 2018 national champion. Right? Like, yeah. I mean, just another little tick on another the box. Wrinkle. Yeah, the I resume. mean, it was the first season I was there, we won the vice national championship, which I say won. We came second, which was unfortunate. We missed a field goal and, and that was the end of the season. That was hard to take. The second season, I came back, I trained the entire off season. I was like, I'm going to be a running back now. So before I was kind of playing it, I was getting into it. Now I'm like, I'm going. What were you your first year before you really went? I mean, I was I was running back and I was playing some slot receiver here and there, a bunch of special teams, but I was never coming into the season the starter. Yeah. And the team had their scholarship running back in place, so on and so forth. But the second year when I came back, they said, we'll take one of these scholarships and spend it on a different position because we've got this running back. And we've got me as opposed to just bringing in an American, which would usually be the case uh, at the university in the United Kingdom. And then, uh, like I said, we, we end up winning the national championship uh i i'm fortunate enough for me i had a great o-line i ended up scoring uh the touchdown to win the game uh and i was really happy with that and then from there i i went to the u.s for for a camp in the summer and it was advised to me you know go and walk on to a to a division one program in the united states and you picked vanderbilt based on based on academics right okay, at the time i did the masters in financial mathematics and it was ranked number one in the world in in the financial masters oh. uh according to the the times i believe higher education yeah absolutely and it's you know <laughs> I, I laugh at this just because we have this unrealistic perception of what sec football is people kill places in the sec that are not bama georgia florida oh, yeah. right but if you look at some of the academic standards for places like vanderbilt it's like there might be a reason why Vanderbilt it's doesn't. It's so hard to get into Vanderbilt. <laughs> People don't get it. It's for, for an undergrad, you've got to have like incredible scores. So yeah. there's no other team in the SEC that is even close to holding their players to an academic standard that uh, Vanderbilt is. Do you feel like it was the perfect fit for you to get your foot in the door of playing Division One football? Because it was academically what you were looking for, but it was also... I'm sure the exposure of being able to call yourself an SEC football an SEC player, football Division player. One, that... it was a great running back room. I had Keyshawn Vaughn in there and he ended up going and playing uh, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The coach, Tim Horton, was fantastic. You know, he really helped me out in that first year. And the coach, Derek Mason, who's now at Auburn. Oh, yep. sorry, it was at Auburn. Uh, he just left Auburn. Uh, it was a fantastic coach as well. So it was definitely the right place to go. And I convinced my parents it was the right thing to do, given, you know, the education was of such a high level. They were happy for me to go and do that. Worst case scenario, you get a master's degree from the number one ranked financial mathematics masters in the world and the world's your oyster, so to speak. Yep. But for me, that was never really the uh, the plan. So coaching staff changes over at, at, at Vandy and uh, and you start looking around and you were told, listen, transfer portal, probably, uh, probably I mean, the way to go here. And then yeah, what we, was- what... We, had, uh, we had gone through spring ball yeah. and just before COVID had happened, maybe there was- 60 or 70 team reps had been given out to running backs and I had maybe taken one and I thought to myself well, I just came off the back of a really good season of practice for you guys at the end of the year and you told me oh, I'll come back it's gonna be a fair competition so on and so forth new staff things change transfer portal was the best way to go so tell me about your transfer portal experience because I think a lot of people in Canada they're interested in 
oh, the transfer portal seems like this fun free agency no, process, but no, what is it actually like to it's live? Not like, it's not the- like that at all, especially <laughs> if you're a walk-on. Um, really, it's you contacting teams. I made this huge index when I was in England and I updated it of every single college coach's email address and phone number in the entirety of Division One football. So if there's any FBS coach watching and they look at their email and they just type my name in, there will be an email in there from me Say, hey, I hit the transfer portal. Would it be possible to speak to your coach? This is my highlight tape. This is what I've done at Vanderbilt. I, I think I bring value to your team. And then I followed up with a bunch of calls. Usually you just get no answer for the, for the very most part. But every single coach, every player personnel guy, every single recruiting analyst, every single quality control analyst, everyone I contacted. It is not all fun and games if you did not play high school football in the United States and you don't have some stars next to your name on, on 24 seven sports or rivals or something of that nature. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the, the basic accolades. If you're not on the ESPN top 100, then you're probably not getting the calls back of, Hey, no. Hey, please. We want, because no. if, if you're somebody like, uh, you know, I'm thinking of a Justin Fields or someone yeah, like that calls immediately or well, well, like a you like announced that Jackson you're going... Dart or someone yes. like he just, he just left, uh, USC. USC. He probably got calls off every team in the country. Where did he, he end up? Was he Ole Miss? Ole Miss, yeah. He's going to go hang out with Lane Kiffin, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, Mike Trigg went over there as well. They're two great players. He's going to be fantastic. He's yeah. a really great guy as well. So you you battled through, but I, I love the idea that, and this is probably a disconnect for people that understand the, the prowess that comes with being at USC. You go from, I'm calling a billion people. I'm not getting any answers. It's all going to voicemail to, I went to USC. I ended up going to USC. How does, how does that work? Did you finally get a call back? Did you just I, harass I had, long enough? I, I had harassed for a bit of time. and Were they a uh, target of yours? Like, did yes, you really want yes, them? specifically. Yeah. Uh, them and, and Florida was another large one. And I got on the call back and a bunch of guys were hurt, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, eventually they said, look, we can make a place for you on the roster to come in for full camp and that was all I needed to hear. I said, yeah, sweet. I'm going to, I'm going to be there. I'm going to just keep it my own. I can assure you of that. Came in, started practicing. It was going very well. And I was really unfortunate. Took a, a very nasty injury in, in one of the practices at the start of the season. And uh, that was the end of that season, I suppose. Yeah. So your first year there, you end up breaking your fibula in a, yes. in a practice roster. Very nasty. And, uh, not ideal. Uh, and interesting the connection that you have with your parents and, and knowing that you had to tell them uh, that you were injured because they have this, there's this sense of trust, right? Of, okay, you're going to go play this game that your parents are probably not really familiar with. Plus they're involved in all these different, mm-hmm. you know, business. And, and you're saying, listen, it's, I want to do sports. I want to be in America because that's the place where I need to play this sport. And I'm going to be on the opposite side of the continent away yeah. from you. And then you break your fibula and, and, break my leg. and you have to call them and tell them. For my mother, it's different. My mother was probably just worried about my health. She just, right. she doesn't care about if you're good or bad. Yeah, just <laughs> as long as you're healthy. It was the same when I was racing. Just She wants to see me in one piece at yeah. the end. So I was scared to tell her because I was like, oh, she's going to be so worried. And I was scared to tell my dad because he's going to be so disappointed in that that was the case. Hmm. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a tough one picking up the phone and the taxi on the way to the hospital. My leg's hanging off. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> It's two in the morning, they're not expecting this call. Yeah, I gotta well, call them, let them know. Good on you for getting a hold of them as quickly as you possibly could, because I think there's a lot of people that would probably dodge that one and call them a week later. Call, hey, nah, thing I happened. And- I literally, they carved me off the field, put me in a, an Uber to go to the, uh, or uh, someone drove me uh, to the hospital. And I literally got in the back of the car and just called them immediately and just said, hey, just so you know, this is the case. Um, 
I'm going to be in hospital. I imagine I'll have emergency surgery, which I did end up having. Um, I apologize. I'm, I'm so sorry. And you felt the need to apologize. I find that interesting because it's, it's not in your control. It's one of those things, regardless of whether it was in my control or not, uh, it was a reality and um, was not what was expected of me or the season. And so I just, uh, the only thing I think say was, I'm sorry. But you battled back. You made your way through. You got back on your feet quicker than you expected to. Way quicker than expected. Yeah. I wasn't supposed to be back healthy. Oh, you know, maybe we'll start like running you again in the spring. Maybe you get back by like the end of the season. So this is spring of 21, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. spring of 21. Oh, maybe we get back by the end of the season. You could run by maybe February or March. And I'm out there running. Me and me and Mark UP, most time were like break into the side of the field through the fence. There was a big enough gap. We was out there running at Christmas Day just to make sure that like, we're getting ahead of schedule, make sure that uh, we're on top of things because just doing the bare minimum and getting back when people say you'll be back is, uh, is not good enough, in my opinion. Yeah, that's awesome. Man. And, uh, and, and so you're at USC and you end up battling your ass off throughout the year you and i were joking about the reality of being a scout team player as well oh, where... what you gonna hit every play <laughs> every play yeah. and so you're you're looking now in the cfl for an opportunity to get drafted and contribute like you want you want to be on a roster yeah. and make a game day and go out with your name introduced and, absolutely right and and that would be the ultimate reward for you would it not in this journey yeah. at this point it is would be to get an opportunity to, to contribute because you've been grinding for 17 yes. 18 19 <laughs> yes. vandy you know 20 yeah. COVID season 21 it's like it's been a long grind for you to get it to has. this point it's been a long road to get to this point but i mean um recognition like you said there would be nice but truly i think at the end of it i can look back and say the the process of the entire thing is what i am most fortunate for to have lived it and to have done it even though a lot of it wasn't easy especially trying to walk onto the american football team when you were from from England was not not easy at all. Uh, I can be happy, especially if I get a lucky call in a few few weeks' time, that uh, that I'm truly enjoying this process and I'm here and I'm doing it. Well, I think a lot of uh, CFL fans, after listening to this, will beg of their team to draft you because you're a very likable guy. Oh, they're I, too kind. If that's the case, <laughs> they'd love to see uh, your name on the back of the uniform, I think in whatever city that they live in. But uh, before we get out of here, I do just want to ask you more about F1 stuff. Because, Let's go. Okay, I can talk all day. I know, me too, man. Is your favorite driver. Yeah. So, so this driver? is the funny thing for me is that I've never really truly had a favorite driver, but uh, I, but I grew up in Lewis's era of dominance. Okay. And so for some people, obviously, that means that you hate him because he's winning every race. And he's, you get tired of it. Well, people hated Vettel. Yes. Yeah. If, if you're in Schumacher's era, some people hated, hated Schumacher him. for yeah, winning. Yeah, it wins were, everything. It doesn't, it doesn't matter, right? It, everybody's going to have their feelings about that. But uh, for me, I've never really had a, a true favorite driver. Like, I, I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. Okay. Because yeah, I grew up a Bills fan because I love Doug Big Flutie. And I love it. And I'd gone to games because it was the closest team to me and all this. And the experience was amazing. I never had that growing up because I never latched onto a team. I've always just cheered for the environment, for a crazy mm -hmm. race, for a fun day, for, you know, essentially chaos. To, Let's go. To yeah. break out yeah. whenever it, whenever <laughs> it happens. Go. So, you know, if we're getting, as long as nobody's hurt, as long as we're getting a couple of virtual safety cars and a couple of red flags. Yeah, a little then bit of, let's keep it interesting. <laughs> yeah. um, for you, I've seen the picture of you with Lewis, right? When you won the, uh -huh. the gift, what was the gift? Award? Uh, it was that specific award was called the Lewis Hamilton true grit awarded. And it was, uh, it was in a casting British championship round. And I had qualified like right at the back. My engine had blown up during qualifying. 
And then I end up just off the podium from like the back of the grid. And then, oh, you could have won this round if you had done it. If you'd been in the front, oh, you know, it's you can't win them all, I think is what I remember saying or something like that. And they gave me the award. A bunch of drivers got the award for uh, for that uh, type of thing. And then uh, we got to go to McLaren and, and meet Lewis, which is cool. The McLaren Technology Center in Woken is is insane. Yep. It's uh, it's like this like yin and yang shaped building, but there's like a skywalk and uh, it's crazy. That's with the pond. Oh yeah, the big pond. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's insane. You've never seen anything like it in your life. I promise you. Like the, it's insane. Did you walk past the trophy case? Oh yeah, we walked past everything. All the cars are lined up in the foyer. Ron Dennis is just walking around upstairs. He's the team (laughs) principal. We're looking up like, is that Ron Dennis? This is insane. That's awesome. Yeah, the uh, the idea of being in that again for somebody from Canada, that's that's surreal. But for you, even growing up in England, that's still. Still surreal. Still yeah, surreal. yeah, still yeah. Still crazy. Special, right? uh, you know, motor racing is a very big deal over in Europe and, uh, and in Canada. It's a big deal. America, not so much of a big deal. They've got they've got some other sports that they got IndyCar. They got their own thing. But Formula One in Europe is huge. So if it was you know Lewis and you get to meet him at a young age and you've been to McLaren and you've been was it were you a Lewis guy through and through? Was it a team of when I was young? I was before? yeah, I was a real Lewis guy for yeah. sure. Um, mostly because like he had grown up in a in a similar way to myself. Oh, okay, cool parents are working hard to get you into racing and so on and so forth and i was like, i can really relate to this guy he's and not only that he's a great racing driver yeah. evidently uh and then when i got into racing i can really remember my early years back in like 2007 2008 it's when he came on the scene and all of a sudden he's going crazy and i'm like wow this guy's crazy drives from mclaren came from stevenage he drives at all the tracks that i used to drive at and so on and so forth so i'm just like ah oh. I was a Lewis guy through and through. What has made him great to you? Lewis? Yeah. Mindset. Yeah. Mindset for sure. He's one of the most positive individuals on the grid, but at the same time, one of the most hardworking individuals on the grid. He doesn't let anything get in his head and, and you, you things go wrong with his car. Things go wrong uh, on a race and so on and so forth. If you keep up with what he's actually doing, a lot of people think he's pretentious. He's just a positive guy. A really positive guy. What is it about his driving style? That, you that makes him good? Yeah. That you think it's really smooth. Good? Yeah, really smooth on the steering wheel. So because people some, always say it's just like his violent ability to underbrake, like going into corners. Like he has this ability to wait, 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 wait. And his dad, so he's the last of the late breakers. Him right. and Ricardo. So Lewis Hamilton never his apex at all, but his entry speed is insane. Like that's where he makes all of his time, just entry speed, entry speed. And his steering is super smooth, so he deals really well with tire degradation. Some drivers have a really interesting uh, turning style. The biggest one would be Alonso. Alonso has like a really specific turning style where he throws the wheel and then comes off the wheel and then feeds it back in, which is not what they teach you. Seems inefficient. All. Seems inefficient, <laughs> but he, the way he makes it work, it works. I promise you, if you think it's not the case, just go online and just look up a video of, say, Alonso steering, and you'll see that it's completely different from every single other driver. But Lewis is super smooth on the wheel, almost like driving with feathers, and it works for him smooth as, uh, smooth as fast. I would imagine being in the Mercedes probably helps that. Being in the Mercedes for the last few years helps. It does. But I mean, he's done it his whole career, no doubt. And and I also love the fact that he's gone back to the yellow helmet this year because it's yeah, just an ode yeah, yeah. to his karting history. Right? It, it is. It is. He he had the karting helmet yellow because Senna's was yellow yeah. and it's his favorite driver. He's now got like a neon green, which is a bit what like a Lando Norris has as his helmets um, because it's what Valentino Rossi had as his. So. They're all just paying homage to one another, but I like the I like the Lewis. Uh, the thing you know. that, that jumped out to me too, though, was when I saw Lewis had gone from the black and purple and all the rest uh-huh. that he had the last couple of years uh, 
to this super bright it's kind of like flashy and yeah, over it's like the, a flamboyant neon yeah, yellow and that's not even though he's the you know I, I wouldn't call him eccentric but it's an eccentric helmet and i thought to me in sports psychology that's a mm-hmm. guy who he just had his crown taken last year in an unfair way and he's pissed He's never going to tell everybody he's pissed, but no. that was stolen from him. He had a chance to be able to set record on record. A chance? Record. Yeah, like he, he should have. A lot of people in the racing world do not recognize that loss as a loss, yeah. really, because it was a very interesting turn of events. Which right. Led and to him not and so he, to me, when I see that helmet, it almost signifies him saying, Max has switched his helmet over to having all this gold on it. And he switched his racing number from 33 to one. To one. And, yeah. And so Max is basically sending this message of, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I'm the champion. I, I'm the champion. I'm a charge now. I'm wearing one. I got gold all over myself. I'm the Red Bull. We've got all these huge sponsorship deals. The the baton has been passed, and I'm the king now. Mm-hmm. And Lewis is like, nope, no. And then the car <laughs> might not be where it's supposed to be at this point with Mercedes. But that that helmet, I might be reading too much into it. But that helmet to me said, you know what? I'm going back to my roots, yeah. and I'm just going to be the badass that I was that when I, was, when I yeah. climbed the sport. Uh huh. That's that's his mentality. Like like I said, he he wants to get after it. He's positive about where he's at. Okay, whatever. This bad thing happened to me. I'm gonna move past it. I'm gonna continue working. That's what he's doing. Yeah. What is uh? What's your favorite track? In the- oh. And I know that there's there's all sorts of different varieties and ways you can go. But oh, really, you love Spa. Eh? Spa. I th- my favorite kart track is in is in Belgium. My favorite F1 track is also in Belgium. What is, what's your favorite part of Spa? I mean, Rouge. Oh, Rouge. I know is the yeah. Ratty on and everything and climb up the hill, but it's the only place in the world with uh with like a steep climb or or descent that uh that is of that magnitude. There's a similar one at Brands Hatch, which is really cool, but the modern Formula One cars couldn't take that mm. these days. It'd be way too fast. The, the track would be too small. The part I find amazing about Spa is uh, and amazingly difficult as somebody who just you know I don't exactly get in the simulator, but in Formula One in the video game is when you're driving around kind of like the two-thirds part of the track. I don't know which corner number it is, but, and you basically have that long right-hander that winds you down the hill. Uh-huh. It's like the blind left that leads you into the high speed left, uh-huh. left, like it's an off. Go back up the hill towards, yeah, 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 it's towards the southern. Like that section to me is just, and the lap is so damn long. Yeah. It just wears guys out. Yeah. It, it's a it's physical task, right? And it's, it's, it's People don't understand as well how much elevation change there is oh. over the lap. It's insane. Like going... Through a rouge, you go up the hill all the way to the top. And then for the rest of the lap, you're making your way back down until you get to the back straight, which you're talking about. And then you make your way back up the hill through the bus stop chicane and then you go over the line. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an amazing spot. I uh what's your honest assessment of the uh the Canadian Grand Prix? I love it. Yeah. Uh the Villeneuve track. Yeah. yeah. I love the Canadian Grand Prix. I remember when I was in F1 uh, when I was like playing F1 on, on PlayStation and stuff like that back in the day. I always used to love driving around that track. And um when I, I, in my recent memory of racing when I was younger, one of my favorite races was I think in 2012 in Canada where Button won. 2011. Or 2011, and yeah, everyone was, was just crashing. <laughs> it's raining. It's sunny because the weather was so temperamental at the time. It's a beautiful place. Yeah, it's a, it's an on an island in the middle of the St. Lawrence River is where the track actually it's where is. It is. I've and never so, been. Yeah. So, I mean, you would love it if you went. It's a great, and the only way that you can get to the island is through the subway. So you end up having like, you know, however many hundred thousand people pile in on the subway, on the subway and then all pile out to get back out because it's on this island. But I mean, yeah, if you get a day in June when it's usually hosted where there's rain clouds coming and going and you're in the middle of I the river it's and it's, yeah, you can get some crazy conditions for sure. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, 
it's a, it's a fun time, I'm sure. And if you, if hey, how if you if I'm right, I'd love to go. Maybe maybe I end up going. <laughs> this is that would be you great. Need, you need to sit down with the Alouettes and say, uh, I would listen, love. Listen, guys, <laughs> I, uh, I'd really like to be a part of your team. Canada is such a beautiful place that I would be happy yeah. on any of the teams. But uh, yeah, if I got to go to one of the Grand Prix, that would be that would be cool. If any of my former teammates are listening. Or any of my former competitors, I know I've driven against quite a few Canadian guys, uh, <laughs> would like to bring me in. I'd love to go. Awesome. Well, Samuel, thank you for the time, man. No, thank you very it. much. It's been my pleasure. Yeah, we've been trying to set this up all throughout the day while we've been hanging out at the Combine and finally got a chance yeah, to sit down. Yeah, it's been hectic. Chop it up. So congratulations, and I hope the weekend goes great for you. Thank you ever so much.